Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. She saw this black woman presenting some really worrying traits. The black um, psychologist was like, you know, what was she doing that's so worrying that you want to escalate it to that degree? And she was like, you know, I went in the room and she's banging her head and moving her head left to right and using both hands to bang her head and hit her head. And she was like, what, you mean like this? And she was like, yes, exactly like that. And she was banging it. And she said, "Um, is she wearing a weave? Um, And she was like, huh? (laughs) And she was like, you do know that when black women are itching their head, right, and they're wearing a weave, they they pat their head, they 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 they, they hit it like this. Is yeah. that what she's doing? And the white woman was like, um, oh. And she was like, she's going to escalate the matter, which means that she could have literally had to have been injected and, you know, like all of these other stuff. Yeah, that's on the record. Because yeah. you didn't think to ask the lady. You are listening to the Dope Black Moms podcast. I am delighted to be joined by the founder of Glow Mama UK, the Fatherhood Awards, founder and CEO of Global Black Maternal Health and Dope Black Mum of Three, welcoming Agnes to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much for having me. So welcome. What an intro. Look at all the things you're doing. Oh, gosh. When you say it like that, when you say it like that, um, there's a lot. It's a really busy time at the moment. And I'm just grateful, really, to be able to Put my little mark on the world, should we say. And doing that with such grace. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. What does being a maternal health advocate, what does that mean to you? Do you know what? It's such a a funny term and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, when I went to kind of like study my degree and my master's, I mean, we had what a module, I think, on public policy or something like that. But you don't really hear maternal health advocate. It wasn't something that I I envisioned in the way that I'm doing it now. I, I didn't really envision that being my, my kind of career or my title. And for me, I think having my own children and, you know, as, as you said, you know, being a mum of three and experiencing care that was at, at some stages, because I've had excellent care, um, so you know, some of my experiences have been woefully short of the type of care that I knew that I deserved, and not just me, every woman deserved. I had no choice but to advocate not only for myself but for other women. Mm. So for me, being a maternal health advocate just means kind of showing up. Yeah. It means using my voice and my platform and and all that I am in the world to advocate for better care for women and their families. Mm. And do you believe that this is your purpose, your calling, whatever, however you want to term it, do you believe this is your work to do? I do. I actually do. Mm. And, you know, I find it really surreal because I remember, you know, the, the tide really turned when I was 
pregnant and then I went into labor with my third child and that's when all of the you know the, the kind of shock um happened for me like when I was like no this is not okay and at that time if anyone had told me fast forward you know four years uh, or nearly four years that that would be the turning point in my life where my kind of trajectory and my career would really, really change. I would have said, no, you know, it's impossible. Yeah. But I really, I realise now when I look back that actually that experience for me was what propelled me to be able to live a life where every day I wake up and I don't feel like I have a job. You know, this is my calling. I hear you. It gave me shivers you saying that. And, and why ask? Because I've known you for a long time. And right now you feel so grounded and so centered. And, and I think it's easy for us as mothers to sometimes get a bit lost in the overwhelmingness, the richness of motherhood. Sometimes yeah. we can just feel like that is our identity. So when I've heard you talking and seen, seen your transformation, just like really owning this role in this space, I was just thinking, I wonder how that feels. So just thinking about that, do you have any advice for mothers listening of just finding their purpose and how to to find that zone with everything? You know, there's so many things that pull on us when we're engrossed in motherhood. I I, I do. Um, And I don't want to sound like all your cliche or anything like that. But for me, one of the challenges I had um, being a mother in general was this thing of, now that you're a mother, that's all that you are, like that's your identity and that's it and there's nothing there for yourself. And, you know, at some stages in my motherhood journey, I was trying to be that person and full stop. And I was trying to give 100% of my being into being what, you know, society may deem as the perfect mother. And I realised very quickly when it's kind of my own mental health and my own just being just didn't feel in sync that I would rather give my children, you know, 90% or, or so of the best version of me mm-hmm. and have 10% or so that is mine um, mm-hmm. that I can own because nobody wants a 100% version of the tired, stressed out, burnt out, mm-hmm. um, exhausted Agnes. She's not cute. Right? <laughs> There's nothing cute about the 100% of that version. Um, And I realised that, you know, very quickly that it's okay. And I feel like so often society's put in these images that as soon as you have children, that's it. Your life is just for your children. And, you know, when they grow, you can find yourself. And I personally feel like that's really dangerous messaging. And what I mean by that, if being 100% of of, of, of motherhood if that is your sole purpose in that way that's fine like I would never say oh you know try and find something else if if every fiber of your being me is about your kids you know waking up um being a housewife or you know just solely focused on them I'm all for that but I'm equally all for you know what if you still have a dream within you and you still want to pursue that you, it's okay to be able to say that that is what I want to do within motherhood as well. And um, for me, as you know, you know, I run the Glow Mama Awards. And interestingly, you know, when I finished my first degree in PR and, and, and comms, 
I went in and I, you know, was working, you know, within the awards industry um, and in work experience as well as a few different jo jobs and a few different gigs. And I find it so interesting that I'm now still doing awards, but I'm doing mm. it in the space of motherhood. So those skills that you may have as a mother, whether it's an accountant, whether it's a lawyer, whether, you know, it was, you know, you were sporty, whatever that is, you can find a space for yourself within motherhood to still do that, um, where you're doing that, whether that's alongside your children or separate, it doesn't matter, but you can still find that space. So I just really want to to just inspire any mum to just say, you know, keep glowing. You know, when you glow, that is not selfish, that is your children growing up and seeing a happy, vibrant mum, and that can only be good. Yeah, I, I was smiling and nodding the whole way through that. You know, you do so much for the community and we've talked a little bit about Glow Mama Awards. You've also got the Fatherhood Awards. And we wanted to talk today about the Global Black Maternal Health Project mission that you've just set up. Can you yeah. tell us a bit more about the organisation? What's the mission? What's the vision? Yeah, so firstly, um, so from the past around four plus years, I've been, as, as we said, a maternal health advocate. So I've been advocating for women, uh, men, service users, families, children, working in the charity sector. Um, but I've been doing that a, a lot as an individual. And I've had so many different opportunities. And I realised that, you know what, I'm only one person. I need, this is not, this is not a journey for one person to be walking on their own to to do you know I I need a team I need people that are as passionate as me working alongside me to do this mission so Global Black Maternal Health was set up at the back end of last year which is 2021 and I was like you know I want to join up the work that I'm doing here in the UK but I want to join that up with a lot of my sisters and brothers across the globe who are also fighting the good fight and what I mean by that is you know in the UK black women are over four times more likely to die in pregnancy in a year after birth. In America, the stats are literally the same, even though we've got a completely different type of, you know, health system. So in America, it's more of an insurance-based health system and so forth. Um, it's still the same stats. And actually, in some states like New Jersey, we're looking at seven times more likely to die. When we look at even Australia, we're finding out that the Aborigines and St. Thomas Islanders are over three times more likely to die in pregnancy and a year after birth. And in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa in particular, over 60, so it's nearly 70%, I believe it's 68% of all maternal deaths are occurring in sub-Saharan Africa. And this is despite the fact that we're not the most populated continent, you know, even if we look at Asia and so forth. So we can already see that that's an inequality there in regards to, you know, if you're looking at the ratio of mothers and where we're giving birth. So I very quickly realised that, you know, the work that I'm doing here in the UK, um, as much as it is meaningful work and work that I'm still continuing to do and I'll never stop doing, actually, this is a global, it's a global problem. And I wanted to ensure that I'm joining up those dots and I'm creating a platform where other people that are doing this work can also find out. So who are my counterparts 
in America that are doing work on, you know, um, you know, miscarriage and doing work on, you know, maternal morbidity and maternal mortality and mental health and who are the equivalents in Africa. When we say Africa, we know Africa is a continent. So we're talking about in terms of countries and in terms of cities and who are our equivalents in terms of Australia at the moment, because when we're not joined up, we don't know where we all are. We're all doing a lot of meaningful work. Um, but even within the UK, it's kind of hard to know who are our sisters in Birmingham or in Coventry and so forth. So it's about creating that joined up space. It's about also reimagining what research looks like, because a lot of the times in black communities, uh, not just in the, in the West, but also in terms of Africa as well and Latin America, research is done to us. It's mm-hmm. not done with us as leaders mm-hmm. and as change agents and people who have agency over our own narratives. So for me, it was like, well, you know what? I know some really intelligent um, black women and men who are at the top of their game. We need to come together and be the leaders when it comes to our own research. Because what we know is that when we're talking about health and medicine, we know that it's all led by the evidence. That's what science is. Science is an evidence-based discipline. And if we're not leading within our evidence, then the solutions that will come out of the evidence that's coming out is not really going to be beneficial for our community. So there's just so much for us to do. And I'm only one person. So Global Black Maternal Health is about now connecting those dots, collaboration, bringing everyone along and just really working together to make a difference. Mm, With the global perspective, what would you like to see change long term? Well, first off, it's the narrative of what research looks like. Research looks like black women with slicked hair and gold hoops. Mm-hmm. Looks like I am currently wearing gold hoops. Do you know what I mean? Like being a researcher, right? And actually researching and getting evidence within communities is accessible for all of us. We're all researchers, we've all got knowledge. Um, and oftentimes organizations have really been able to get funding that for our community because you know, research hasn't really been seen as a discipline or as an area within our communities in the ways that it should be. So first of all, from a global perspective, I would like to reimagine what research looks like for us and the fact that we can all all participate. So whether that's through the surveys and, you know, getting insight through, through data or through focus groups and interviews, which we do all the time, you know, having conversations and speaking one-on-one, but actually documenting that and and getting that key information, extrapolating that we all have a part to play. So that's mm. one. But number two, it's about ensuring that we've got co- the, the correct research, the correct data. At the moment, a lot of the data that's coming out of research, because it's been done, by, done to us, and not by us as the as leaders, so actually at the helm, um, a lot of the data that's coming out is just not fit for purpose. It isn't fit for purpose. And um, I'll, I'll give an example of why it's so important to have, you know, black people at the helm of of research of within health. I saw something on Instagram the other day, and I just couldn't stop laughing. There was a psychologist, one black psychologist in America. I'm not sure if you saw this, Nina. And um, it was on a reel and she was just saying how she's in the psychiatric ward and there was a black lady there, um, a patient, 
she was the only black um, psychiatric nurse, or she was the only black woman there, you know, in a, in a, in a clinical sense. And one of the white ladies came and said, um, and I forgive me for all of the psychologists that may tune in, because I can't remember exactly what, um, what escalation she wanted to do, but I know that she wanted to escalate the matter because she saw this black woman presenting some really um, worrying traits. So the, the, the black um, psychologist was like, you know, w- what was she doing that's so worrying that you want to escalate it to that degree? And she was like, you know, I went in the room and she's banging her head and moving her head left to right and using both hands to bang her head and hit her head. And she was like, what, you mean like this? And she was like, yes, exactly like that. And she was banging it. And she said, um, is she wearing a weave? Um, and she was like, huh? <laughs> and she was like, you do know that when black women are itching their head, right, and they're wearing a weave, they they pat their head, they, 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 they hit it like this. Is yeah. that what she's doing? And the white woman was like, um, oh, and she was like, she's going to escalate the matter, which means that she could have literally had to have been injected and, you know, like all of these other stuff. Yeah, that's on the record. Because yeah. you didn't think to ask the lady, right, um, like literally, like, and why she's going to understanding. Like, lack of cultural understanding, right. So what ends up happening, you know, if we look at it from a research and from a data perspective, is first of all, the questions that are often asked, so the exploratory questions, are not even the right questions because you've not really co-produced that with community. But even if you've asked questions that the community want to ask, when the data comes in, you don't have the nuances of Mm -hmm. communities to be able to even then dissect what's actually being said um, and what they mean by that. You you, you know, those kind of cultural lenses, which is so important to data analysis. Like that example I just gave, if you don't know that, Black women hit their head when they're trying to <laughs> when they're trying to itch their scalp when they've got a weave on. You know, you might see that, and you know, factually, that's what's happened. But your interpretation of that data is going to be completely different. So it's really important. You know, what I would like to see global black maternal health is us bringing up. You know, a whole kind of plethora of researchers in in different countries across the globe who mm. are able to you know, plug in when we're doing research. But then also on the flip side, for us to be able to empower those those researchers um, and to be able to give them voice and agency and be allies and and empower them on a global stage so that when people are going into communities, you know that that is the lead researcher that you need to have on your project. That is brilliant. Brilliant. And, And when you put it like that, so key when you hear those when you can think of how that could have escalated for that particular patient, for that woman, her experience, what that can mean for her record, how that could have changed trajectory for her whole life, actually. You know, what could have happened from that? Um, that's really interesting from a global, like, long-term perspective. What can we do, like, right now, today? What, what changes could we make on the ground? So kind of what short-term moves could we all moves. be making right so now? So right now, at the moment, um, you can head over to our website. So that's www.globalblackmaternalhealth.org and you can subscribe to our newsletter. This is really important because, you know, the more numbers that we have that are subscribing to our newsletter, um, it, it kind of just demonstrates a need for our work. You know, we get funded to do different projects. So you're, just by doing something as simple as that, that, that kind of supports us in our, in our in our mission so that's a tangible action number two we've launched um global black maternal health 
also on Instagram. So you can also kind of follow us to find out about our projects, the, the projects that we're doing right now. And I'll speak about those projects in, in, in a minute and also on Twitter. So it's about kind of, you know, following us and having that solidarity. Solidarity. What we're not trying to do is say we're for community, but that we don't have community backing us. We don't have community on our side. We don't have community following and supporting us. Otherwise, we're just another organisation talking a good game. But actually, you know, we're you know who who are we? Nobody knows who we are. So that would be something that we like now. That would be massive. Secondly, um, we're launching two projects at, at the moment. So one project is air pollution in pregnancy. And wait, 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 wait. And I say that because a couple of years ago, someone has said to me, I'm working on a climate change or air pollution um, type project. I would have been like, that's not really my thing. You know, um, yes, I'm in mental <laughs> health. Um, I, I kind of envisioned, you know, kind of like these rich lords and their children kind of chaining themselves up to something. Is they that got, not what you're doing day to day? That's not what this. Yeah, yeah, about. that's not what we're doing because I, 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 me, I've got three kids. I need to get them to school. I've got work then. <laughs> I ain't really got time for that. So that's what my vision, my I envisioned, or when I thought of air pollution, it's my own unconscious bias, my own ignorance. I'll be the first one to say it, but it wasn't yeah. on my radar. But that was until I found out that, you know, when we're talking about the mortality rates for black women in pregnancy, there's also another kind of a statistic. And that is that our black babies are twice, we're twice as likely to experience a stillbirth than white women. And then I found out that women who are living in uh, highly polluted areas are twice as likely to suffer uh, um, a stillbirth. And I was like, or experience um, a stillbirth. And I was like, hold on a minute, is there like a correlation to this? Because what we do know, you know, even if we're just looking, you know, we know that, yes, black people have been in the UK for longer than from before the Second World War. But even if we look at, you know, black, the black experience in, in the UK, post second world war we know that we came over here we came into the the cities and 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 the towns looking for work and we were mostly in areas where it was you know uh, urbanized areas really isn't it in this city where it's very busy and so forth and then they had their children and we're here there's maybe first or second or third generation but this is where we stayed so we we're not really understanding the areas that we've been brought in, the gentrification that's happening, all of the construction that's happening around us, you know, the fact that now, you know, there's so much more cars um, on on the road and, and so forth and how that's impacting us. Secondly, um, and another point that I, I didn't know myself, that when we're talking about air pollution, we're talking about what our babies are, are twice likely to die, you know, in, in, in the womb. There's also other other factors when we're talking about mortality and then morbidity. So I never knew that actually when you're living in areas with high air pollution, actually it also increases the risk of your children having autism, you know, mental health challenges, even things like diabetes, like there's so many other other spin-offs of living in in in, in areas where the the um it's it's this toxic environment. And, you know, when we look at areas just like even Southwark and Lambeth, I believe, like from the World Health, Health Organization, you know, it's like twice the level of toxicity that it should be from the World Health Organization, just here in London. Um, when we're looking at, um, you know, that, that little girl, Ella, who, you know, she's one of the first, um, she's nine year, a nine-year-old girl who died. And, you know, on her death certificate, she died of asthma. 
And mm. that was in Lewisham, Catford. You know, Lu- mm. shout out to everyone, you know, who's born in, in Lewisham. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Lewisham, you know, Lewisham girl. And, you know, we've, we've, here we've got a little, a little black nine-year-old girl, you know, who died. And air pollution was her cause of death. That is what's on her death certificate. This is not an issue that is far removed from us. We just don't know about it. We're not, we don't have the information and the, and the knowledge and the information that is coming out is not being done in a, in a, in a way that is engaging, is not being done in a way that is culturally sensitive. And then on the flip side of that, we're not even asking communities what their knowledge is of air pollution. Like before you even start looking at interventions, actually you need to find out where people are at. So we're launching our flagship project on the 7th of September, um, which is called Air Pollution in Pregnancy, where we're looking at the attitudes and behaviours of black women in London. So we're starting off in London with with, um, the hopes to expand so that we can get a baseline of where people are at. And then we can look at what are the interventions, what is the support then that we can give women and families in the community so that's something massively like we need the community behind us sharing this survey circulating it with their networks getting people to fill it in i know we're survey fatigued like please i know it i know it you know i get a survey you know once or twice a week every week god even i know you know yeah Yeah. even for me i'm like another survey that i'm having to do but at the end of the day i need some i need some evidence i need to be able to walk into these spaces and say these are the percentages like so you know in order to bring about this the changes there is some data that I, I I need to have and there's no way around it. Um, so that would be one. It's like, you know what? I'm not saying those other surveys are not important, but if there's one that you're going to do. <laughs> but it is. This is the most September important. to the end of Black History Month, let this be the one because we're breathing in toxic air at the moment. And there are things. It's not like it's inevitable. It, it's not a coincidence that areas with high, um, with high, black and brown communities that these are the areas that are experiencing the high levels of um you know toxic air this is these are not coincidences even just within and i'm i'm not picking on uh, lucian borough but it's an area i know well if we look at the air that you're going to get in blackheath for example and then the air that you're going to get in catford these are two boroughs we know there's a life expectancy of when i last checked it was about six seven years between two boroughs i'm talking about a 10 15 minute wow. drive Right, and there's a yeah. six-year life expectancy. So these are not things that we just have to say this is our lot. We need to get that evidence. So that's another thing that you can do. If you're following us um, on, on Instagram and on Twitter and so forth, you will see that survey. Please um, fill it in. So that's for pregnant women and women who've given birth within the last five years. And if that's not you, just share it high and wide within your network, we would appreciate it. And then the second one is looking at the experiences of black and mixed heritage parents accessing SEN special educational needs support. And this is in light of Child Q, uh, because we all know what happened with Child Q and the teacher that called the police was um, a special educational needs teacher. Mm -hmm. Just for those who don't know, do you want to give us a quick God, I'm gonna try (laughs) without getting emotional. Or just yeah, no, just tell us why you feel it's important. So you know, there was a 
black girl, young black girl, um, I believe she was like 14, um, between 12 and 14, so let's say 14. And there was uh, an accusation that she smelled of cannabis. Her teachers initially asked her and searched her bags and her belongings, and they couldn't find any traces of cannabis. And she went back in to her exam because she was sitting her exams. And then what happened was one of the teachers, which we later found out to be a special educational needs teacher, and I need to just pause there because a special educational needs teacher should know better, right? Um, when Anne called the police and the police went in and brought this little black girl out mm. of her lessons and um, strip searched her without any adult in that room and to make matters worse, she was also on her period and they had no mercy, no mercy. Then they let this little black girl go back into her exams, denied her the ability to even clean up and clean up, clean her hands and expected her to go and sit her exam. Didn't even notify her parents. She notified her parents when she went home. So what we're looking at here is the adultification of our black kids, right? And this adultification, you know, I could have looked at, you know, when we're looking at child mental health, because this survey links into child mental health, um, I didn't want to just start it at the teenagers, because actually what we find out is our black babies, right, three and four years old, are three to four times more likely to be excluded from nursery. Nursery! I know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, than the white kids um, in the UK in 2022. These are the stats. So what we know is this adultification, this bias, this um, just lack of humanity and a lack of grace for our babies, a lack of patience. It's starting from very, very young. It's starting from the early years. So our first, in our first phase, in terms of the first bit of work we're doing, is looking at it from zero to 11. So that's kind of from the early years. Um, to, um, you know, when a child in the UK goes to secondary school and looking at the experiences, because sometimes we see that our children are having a speech and language delay and they're having behavioural outbursts. And actually, if they had the adequate support at three, at two, at four, you know, and so forth, by five, six, they would actually be fine, you know, yeah. they'll be okay. Um, and I'm talking about this from my lived experience. This happened with my with my own son. Um, yeah. But our children are not getting the grace and it's like they're having an outburst. They must be a bad child. I remember my mum just being told that I was lazy, need to apply myself um, and and what that results in being put into kind of lower tiers and all that sort of, you know, being put aside and kind of not focused on because you're kind of the lazy one or you're not applying yourself or just no one understands. It's just a, a lack of care isn't it lack of duty it's a lack of care it's a lack of duty like there could be a child that is acting up in class just because they've got dyslexia and yeah nobody's been able to identify that that child has got dyslexia and just learns in a different way it's a smart bright child and yeah. you've not been able to pick that up in the early years they've become dis um not dissatisfied, but what's that word? Disengaged. Like, disengaged with the education yeah. system from an early age. And so by the time 
um, they get to secondary school now, you know, they want to be the class clown and be funny because that's the only way that they get any engagement in school because they feel like they're not smart when they actually are and they just need a little bit of support. And why this is so important is in 2020, there was a report that was released by the um, youth, um, YOS, the Youth Offending System, I believe it's that, but the criminal justice system focusing on youth. And they said that, you know, a lot of the black and mixed heritage boys, so this is particularly for boys, but, you know, our, our, our research is going to be for boys and girls, that by the time these children or these young adults have reached them, there were so many missed opportunities, right? So many. Um, but they didn't get the support. So by the time you've got now a 16 and an 18 or an 18 year old boy that's, that's come in, um, they've been failed by the system, but police are there to arrest you know if there's something that's got that's got that, that's gone on and that's their, their job so that's what ends up happening so our children are being let down by the system and it becomes a pipeline right so um what what we're looking to do as part of the, some of the work that we're doing these are two projects that we've that we're, we're doing this is now so for anybody that, that's interested um we're looking to deep dive and for that project Again, we're looking specifically within South London but to roll this out. So we're doing one body of work to justify the work that we're doing. And then we want to roll it out, um, you know, nationwide, looking at different cities and comparable pieces of work. And then look at intervention because we're not looking to just do reports for report's sake, right? We want recommendations from the community and then to get funding to influence policy to change these outcomes because how can our kids be three times more likely to be excluded from nursery? I have nothing to say. It just sounds ludicrous. At three year old, three years old, we can we can pull these stats out. We can pull the stats out. I mean, I wish I was making them up. I wish I was. I know. I <laughs> wish you were. But I've I've seen it, and and I know exactly what you mean. And obviously, we're we're both part of lots of groups where mothers are talking, and everyone's sharing these stories. And it's just it's amazing what you're putting into action. And I hope that we can all support you so we can sign up to the newsletter we can follow you on socials anything else that we can be doing to support the cause to help the mission yeah, that's it you know get in touch you know get in touch um you can find me um i don't know if you're going to be linking but you can find me even through global black maternal health um you know we want to make sure that the work that we're doing is coming from community i all of the work that we want to put out there, we want it to be rooted in community, not the other way around, not any one of us saying, oh, let's do this or let's do that. And it's not grounded in the experiences of community. So equally, if you've got ideas and spin-offs and if you're thinking, you know what, you know, this happened to me and if it's happened to me, you know, there could be so many other families and communities and women and our children get in touch and let's see what we can do. Let's see how we can co-produce other pieces of work together. That sounds brilliant. That sounds brilliant. I'm going to put all the links and everything so everyone can follow the conversation. And just thanks so much for all that you and the team are doing. Thanks so much um, for for keeping up, you know, the conversation. Because it, we we hear the statistics you're talking about we hear often and um, we've heard this for years and there's been very very little change so it's just it takes a lot of uh 
gumption, you know, a lot of spirit just to keep on because it just feels um, overwhelming. You know, it feels like it's not it's not changing. And it's great that you're keeping you keep you keep on keeping on. You know, it's good. Nina, we're not we're not um, asking permission anymore. We're mm-hmm. not asking for seats at the table anymore. We're not pointing fingers at people anymore. We're the change. This is the generation. We're doing it. Um, if you if you don't like it, th- that's a you problem. If you like it, you're going to join the movement. Like, it is really that. And I feel like for so long, you know, through no fault of our own, but we've been in situations where we've had to wait for others to kind of come in and and make a change for us. And I, I'm not prepared. Like, I can't, I've got three kids here, you know, I can't tell you the anxiety I have having two boys one year apart and what that could look like for them as 14 and 16 year old boys in in this community. I I, I don't want to be living like that. I need to find problem. I need to find solutions now. I haven't got time to wait, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that a lot of um, it really is life or death. I hear it's you. life and death It's life and death. And I don't want to be talking about it anymore. I want to get the evidence and I want to get the data and I want to be about that change. And what I'm so grateful, I just want to thank everybody because, you know, the comments, people messaging me, DMing me, that's what keeps me going. You know, when I hear people saying, you know, Agnes, you know, we see you, um, Agnes, you know, keep it up or people coming in to share their stories with me it helps me to keep motivated because sometimes it, it, it does get difficult when it's you're a lot. when you're it's a lot when you're hearing all of these stories and you just feel like oh my goodness you know I I, I really do take it to heart so I just want to thank everybody who has been so supportive I want to thank the community who have just embraced every piece of work that I'm doing who's always inviting me on to different places and spaces and platforms like look at yourself now just having me on and sharing the story and sharing the work we're doing I just want to thank you all because without you guys we can't do the work that we're doing Mm, well I want to thank you for all that you are doing because we all appreciate it and and we can see what you're doing we can see the change it's making instantly so just thank you and thank you so much for coming on and sharing so eloquently Thank you. Thank you. Dope Black Mums. If you'd like to join the Dope Black Mums private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Mums on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening.